hello. We welcome you to Renton Christian Center's recorded ministries. It is our hope and prayer that you may be filled with God's love and wisdom and that this message will find a place in your heart. Here again is our message. All right. Well, it's just, it's great to be back. Uh, love to see all these familiar faces. And thank you, uh, Pastor Alex, for the opportunity to share a little bit of what God's doing. Would you pray with me before we start? Father, I just uh, offer this day to you. I offer these words and this opportunity that, uh, Lord, you would bring to the hearts of, of each and every one of us just exactly what we need to hear this morning. That it's by your spirit, Father, that it would take the words that get shared and, and the experiences and the stories and speak to us directly as you've promised that you would through your, your precious Holy Spirit. And Father, we just thank you in advance for that. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. Well, first of all, I got to explain a couple of things. The reason I wore this shirt this morning is because uh, I'm, I'm going to be uh, working at the Boeing Classic all next week. And so it's, it's time for a commercial break. Um, and the other thing was I figured it was loud enough that you guys wouldn't be able to go to sleep on me. <laughs> you know, but then as I, we were joking about that at the house when the, my granddaughter said, whoa, Papa, we really like that shirt. It's really bright. And I said, so I explained to them. And, and then one of my granddaughters said, well, maybe it's so bright people will close their eyes and then they will fall asleep. <laughs> so, you know, out of the mouths of babes. Um, actually, my son Caleb and I are working at the Boeing Classic and they give us additional passes for the entire week and I have four of them uh, going to the highest bidder <laughs> and not only that but we have an extra parking lot pass so if you put those together that's about $150 worth of worth of tickets so if anybody's interested wants to go to the Boeing Classic I only have one parking pass so if you want to get with the people that uh, are getting all the tickets or you put it all in one family or whatever just want to let you know that those were available just just in case. So, um, as oftentimes, I mentioned this to uh, Pastor Alex, as oftentimes happens when I'm putting the finishing touches on, on my sermon, the, the Holy Spirit says, I got another plan for you, and he just kind of redoes it. Well, that happened this morning. So, if it seems like this message is a little scattered, I trust that the Holy Spirit's just going to draw it all together right at the end. Um, and then I'll be able to say, and, and you, you stole one of my favorite lines, and now the rest of the story. You know, here's the rest of the story. So if you're note takers, get out your pencil and, and paper. I want you to write down some scriptures because I'm going to go through these fairly quickly, and I think I'll be able to just read them off the screen rather than, than looking at my Bible, so it'll make, me, it'll make it a lot easier. So the first scripture is, is John 7:28. Now, as that comes up, I want to let you know that the, if you want to put a title on this morning's message, it's, it's this, who is God? Now, you'd think that's a pretty basic question to ask a whole bunch of church people. Well, of course, does everybody know who God is? Sure. I mean, I'm not asking for raise, raise hands, but I didn't see one, so maybe you don't. Um, but who is God? Let's take a look at some of these scriptures here. Nope, not that one. Okay, then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, You both know me, 
and you know where I am from, and I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. You might underline that, whom you do not know. And then John 8, 19. They said to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. And John 14, it's a little longer one, 7 through 11. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father. Isn't it kind of interesting? He just says this. He just says this. And then Philip says, Lord, show us the father. And it is sufficient for us. Jesus said unto him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. And verse 20, in John 14, verse 20. At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. So we ask the question, Who's God? And right away, Jesus says, nobody knows. He basically, all those scriptures wrapped together says one thing, no man knows the Father. Nobody knows the Father. So that's where we get to start. So then we ask our question, well, if nobody knows the Father, how can we know the Father? How do we get to know the Father? Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How many of us would like to have eternal life? Everybody, do you know what eternal life is? Let's go to John 17:3. And this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus himself said, this is eternal life, that you would know the Father. Well, it seems like we have a kind of a quandary on our hands because he just said, no man knows the Father. And then he says, you want eternal life? You must know the Father. Kind of between a rock and a hard spot, aren't we? So that leaves us with the question, how in the world do we know the Father? Through Jesus Christ. So, go ahead, you can just you know, put a pretty slide or something up there uh, or blank it out. <laughs> there you go. So I want you to take those scriptures, kind of lock them in your brain a little bit, and we're going to proceed a little ways into the rest of the story. So as Alex alluded to, um, God called us to Montana fairly recently when 
I literally thought we were in Washington for the rest of our lives because I really like the weather out here and I don't have to shovel snow and it's just and, and I've got this incredible church family that I was uh, have been part of and and you know sometimes God in his great wisdom or sense of humor whichever way you'd rather look at it if he wants us to go somewhere or do something one of the methods he often uses is he he kind of points us towards something that's going to get our attention, to kind of get the, the ball rolling, start building up a head of steam to get you where he wants you to go. And uh, what happened was my, my wife's mother and father, uh, 87 years old, they, their health started to fail, and, and the family kind of said, well, gosh, you and Linda are kind of unattached and really close to retirement. Maybe you'd like to retire and come back to Montana and help take care of mom and dad. We prayed about it and felt like that was what the Lord was pointing us to do. And so we started the ball rolling and got the steam engine on the track and, and started filling in the, the coal and getting a good head of steam going. And we were all set to the point where we had a U-Haul reserved and we had a, a departure date. We were going to leave on July 1st and arrive in Montana on July 2nd. And then mom died. <laughs> we went, Whoa. That kind of throws a monkey wrench in works, and, and so we said, what are we, we going to do? And we were wise enough to go to prayer about it. And we sat down with the family, and we prayed, and we said, how does everybody feel? Do you feel like we still need, like the like Lord's still calling us to Montana? And Joshua and my wife, Linda, and, and the girls, and everybody said, yeah, yeah, that uh, Montana, that's, boy, just, the Lord is just calling us there. I said, okay, so where do we go? We're not going to go to Big Sandy now because that's where her folks were from. What do we do? And I had some thoughts. I had a little bit of ideas in my mind, but I didn't want to uh, overweigh the decision process. So I said, Josh, Linda, what, what do you feel like the Lord's telling you? And they both said, well, you know, you got grandkids in Lewistown, and then you got grandkids in Billings, and right there in between Lewistown and Billings is a little town called Harleton. Why don't we go to Harleton? We'll be halfway in between. The grandkids, great idea. It just happens to be my hometown where I was born and raised and grew up, and I know everybody, and, and I was thinking of Harleton anyway, but so I said, yeah, excellent, gr great wisdom, you guys. So we decide that we're going to move to Harleton. So I, I don't know what they've got for rent or anything. Now here's where I want you to start picking up on who God is. Okay, remember those scriptures. How, how do we know who God is? So I called the only realtor in, in Harleton. Harleton's a town of about just less than 1,000, 947 people as of this 19, or the, the 2013 census or whatever the last census was. And uh, I called the only realtor, and he answers the phone. He says, hi, this is Dave. And I said, uh, well, this is Walt Scottson. And uh, he says, wait a minute. Are you the Walt Scottson whose mom was Dorothy? I said, yeah. I said, are you the Dave whose mom and dad were Hester? And, and uh, I can't think of his dad's name now, but anyway, he goes, yeah. I said, well, I guess we know each other. So I, I started telling him this story of uh, how we felt like the Lord was calling us back to Montana. Excuse me, I get a little dry. Ooh, squeeze that a little bit too much. And so he said, well, uh, me and my partner are both committed Christians, so we'll be praying for you. 
So I knew I was on the right track right away and just coincidentally happened to call a guy who was a Christian whose mom and dad took care of my mom when she was dying of cancer. And so he gives me this, his partner, and she says, um, listen, there's been a group of us here in Harleton that have been praying that God would send mature Christians to this community to help restore the spiritual life of this community. And so she said, I just know you guys coming as an answer to prayer. But I got to tell you, there's nothing to rent in town. There's a couple of construction projects going on, and those construction workers have everything rented up. And I said, well, we, we've got a U-Haul rented, and we're going to be on our way. Now, I told you guys a little bit of that story before, and I showed you a picture of the place that looked like the Lord was going to provide for us, a big hotel on a hill, and uh, you know, kind of th- made me think of a mansion on a hill. And these Christian people over there offered to let us stay at this hotel until a rental showed up. But here's what happened instead. God instead provided a little house for us. And it was like four or five days before we were ready to pull out of, of Covington here. I get a phone call from Dave. And he says, hey, Walt. He said, my partner is selling a house to a young couple who are renting, and they haven't told their landlord that they're leaving yet. But if they close the deal, they're going to tell the guy. And he says, I'll call you when they close the deal. So they close the deal. The next day, I get a phone call, and Dave says, they close this morning at 10 o'clock. They're going to call their landlord and tell them that they're, they're leaving. Here's the landlord's name and phone number. So I waited till about noon, and I called the guy, and his name's Jim Bouchard. His cousin worked for my brother on the railroad. So I call and I say, hi, Jim, this is Walt Scottson. I said, I understand you've got a house for rent. He said, wow, that was really quick. I just found out at 10 o'clock this morning that I had a house for rent. <laughs> I said, well, you know, a small town, how word travels fast. And he says, uh, well, I got to tell you, I I'd planned on spending about a month cleaning this place up, painting it and fixing it up and everything. And he said, I don't even know if the people are going to be out by the 1st of July. And I said, well... I'm trusting that they will be. And you know what? I'm kind of a handyman sort of a guy. I can fix up things, and I can paint, and I can definitely clean. You know, I worked for five years as a custodian. Uh, I said, I can do that. If you'll just let us have the house, we'll, uh, I'll clean it all up for you. He said, well, that sounds like a pretty good deal <laughs> to me. And he said, uh, how does, uh, this is a three-bedroom house. Nice little re- he says, how does $400 a month rent sound? <laughs> I said, well, it's a bit high, but, you know, we'll take it. So, anyway, we, we move off to Harlow, and we show up. And uh, there was a point when I thought maybe I'd bit off more than I could chew. <laughs> the basement of this house was so full of trash, garbage, cat litter boxes, bags of clothes that had been used when the cat litter box got full. I had, uh, do you know what a seven-yard dumpster looks like? These little dumpsters right out here are about two and a half yards. A seven-yard dumpster is just about as long as this platform is. I filled that seven-yard dumpster with the garbage from the basement. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, pretty incredible. And, uh, 
I shook my head and several times and went, whoa, this is not what I had in mind. But uh, this house was an incredible opportunity. And you know, when my grandkids showed up, this house has an incredible backyard. It, it has just a little lawn and then it goes down a sloping hill and then a nice big open lawn. And then on the other side of that lawn, there's a, there's a creek for the kids to play in. And my grandkids first saw it and they said, Dad, Papa, this is like a, this is like a jungle. We can, we can have, you know, and they saw the eyes of children see sometimes what we won't see. Wasn't it somebody in the Bible that said, you know, suffer the little children to come unto me? And then in teaching, the disciples said, unless you become like these little children, you don't get to see the kingdom of heaven, which is all around us. You've you, you got to have this kind of vision. And so maybe when you ask the question, who is God, maybe we've we got to ask, how's our vision? Did you ever uh, hear the story of, uh, comes from the book, Heaven is for Real? It's about a little boy, um, Colton Burpo, who almost died, went to heaven and spent some time with Jesus. And uh, in that process, he was telling his dad what Jesus looked like. And his, his dad pulled out these pictures of Jesus and, you know, like the ones we've all seen. And he said, have you seen this one? And, and uh, did he look like this? And he goes, no, he didn't look like that. And he says, well, did he look like this? He said, no, he didn't look like that. And then finally one day, he's searching the Internet, and he sees a picture. And this picture was painted by a young girl by the name of Ikein Karamerik. And she painted it when she was eight years old. And she painted it based on the fact that she had seen visions of Jesus. Jesus revealed himself to her according to what she said. Now, here we've got an eight-year-old child, and she paints a picture of what she thinks Jesus looks like based upon the fact that she said she's seen him. So dad pulls this picture up on the internet, and he shows it to Colton. And Colton goes, that's him. That's Jesus that I saw in heaven. And it looks like, picture, that's, I mean, if you see down in the corner, it says a cane, and right underneath there where you can't see, it says eight years old. She was eight years old when she painted this picture. Now, I'm not saying absolutely, categorically, that that's Jesus, but it seems like somebody in the Bible said, unless you can see like a little child, you're not going to see the kingdom. Two children, five years old and eight years old, said, this is what Jesus looks like. Maybe, just maybe we ought to pay attention. Maybe we ought to ask ourselves, how, how are we seeing I'll depart just a little bit and tell you a little story that just happened. Just happened yesterday at our house. It involves little children. Josh and his little girls, they're playing hide-and-seek in the house. 
And this particular time, Josh really hid well, hid in the closet, but he was behind some stuff, and the girls couldn't find him. They looked, and they looked, and they looked. And in fact, they, both of them went and looked right in that closet twice, each of them twice. And they finally came to me, and they said, Papa, can you just tell us where he is? And I said, you know, maybe the problem is that you're looking and not seeing. Now, this is not my wisdom. I, this is one of those things where you get done, you go, wow, where did that come from? But I said to the girls, I said, maybe you're looking and just not seeing. And so I said, come stand in front of Papa. And I said, grab each other's hands. Close your eyes and just think to yourself, where is he? Where is he? And they did that. And then they both immediately turned and looked down the hallway and said to each other, he's this way. And they took a couple steps and turned right to the closet. And they said, he's in here. And they opened up the door and they started feeling a little more. And there he was. When they closed their natural eyes, guess what they saw? Their father. And I just went, I mean, after it was over, after that kind of happened, the Holy Spirit said, did you catch what's going on here? And this morning, he reminded me of that, and I went, whoa. Now, here's some of the rest of the rest of the story. Um, when I got over to Montana, word got around that I was kind of a retired pastor, and I got phone calls from some people, my wife's bestest friend from high school ever said, hey, uh, we live in this little town called Moore, Montana, and it's about 150 people, and they've got this little church, and the pastor just left, and they have nothing, the church, the, the uh, Methodist church who kind of oversaw it was, they just already told them, they're not, they're not going to send anybody else, you're on your own, and they said, could you possibly come and preach, and oh, by the way, we kind of shared that pastor with three other churches, and they'd like to have you come preach too. So I said, well, I'll preach it at the Moore Church, and went and preached, and actually kind of gave them a similar message to this, talked about who is God, and showed them this picture. And it's just really a subject that's been on my heart. And it was a blessed time. The, the lady, the organist that played the the organ said to me, so uh, did you know a Jim Scottson when you were growing up? I said, yeah, he's my older brother. And so, you know, just some connections. So now fast forward, and I'm getting a phone call from the little Federated Church. And if you don't know what a Federated Church is, that's Methodist slash Presbyterian joined together uh, in my hometown in Harleton. I get a call from them. He said, well, we heard you preached it more. Would you guys, would you come and preach the next Sunday at our church? I said, well, yeah, I, I can do that. So I'm sharing this story. And we, when I get to the, the part about little Colton Burpo and seeing Jesus, I see in the, in, the, in the audience, the heads are nodding like this. And so I get all finished with this story and we talk about Jesus and and afterwards, people come up and they said, we know all about Colton. In fact, a couple years ago, when Colton was almost dying of a ruptured appendix, this church was on their knees 
praying with all the other churches in Harleton because Colton's grandpa was one of the pastors in that community. Now, I put that message together two weeks before I preached there. Can you see God in there? Can you see God in that situation? That's not a coincidence, but a providential circumstance. What is it that's going on in our lives that our natural eyes are not seeing? Every single day, something else is happening. Something's going on. Something unique that God is doing and we don't see because we don't look. Or we look and we don't see. Jesus said, You've seen me, you've seen the Father. How do we see Jesus? I would invite you to consider the fact that maybe we see Jesus because we purposely look for him every single day. Lord, what's going on today? What's happening today? I mean, I've just given you a couple of examples. I got a couple more to kind of close up with of what's been going on in our lives in the process of preaching at these two churches, my son Caleb informed me that, that uh, they were four counselors short at the junior high church camp for Faith Chapel in Billings, Montana. In case you don't know, Faith Chapel in Billings, Montana is one of the largest four-square churches literally in the country. About 4,000 people attend there, give or take a couple hundred. And... Uh, so I said to Caleb, I said, you did, you did say junior high, didn't you? Because <laughs> he wanted me to come and counsel <laughs> at the junior high. I said, you know, they're like 12, 13 years old, and I'm like 65 almost, and uh, I don't know if I could do that. He said, yeah, Dad, you can. And, and one of the things that we prayed about when we decided to go to Montana, or we decided to answer God's call, and I said, okay, Lord, we'll go. And what I said when I prayed, I said, Lord, I'll, I'll walk through whatever door you open as long as I'm sure that it's you that's opening the door. Do you know what an open door is? It's an invitation. It's an opportunity, but it's an invitation to step through and participate in what it is that God's doing in your life. So I walked through that door and I went to the church camp and I tell you, I absolutely believe in a resurrection now because I know I died every night. <laughs> I would walk down that hill. I mean, you know, and it's in the Beartooth Mountains and it's like this. And I would walk down the hill to the tents and, and my left knee gets all swollen up when I do lots of walking and I'd hobble down there and I would lay down and I'd say, okay, God, just take me home. I can't do another day like this. <laughs> and sure enough, in the morning I'd wake up and I'd still be there and so... By the power of the Holy Spirit, get me out of bed, and then a hot shower, and then a cup of coffee, and all of a sudden, I was ready to go for another day. And uh, this young man, I call him young. He spent the whole time telling these kids how old he was, um, who preached the whole week. 42 years old, Ryan Barkell was his name. And he sat there telling these kids how old he was and I'm the old codger and, and, and I 
talked to him when he first got there and, and put my arm around him and said, how are you doing, Ryan? And, and uh, he said, well, okay, but this is kind of bittersweet. And I says, what do you mean? He says, well, this, this camp's kind of probably, I don't know, might kind of be my swan song. I said, really? He said, yeah. He says, I, I'm not pastoring junior high anymore. I, I'm not even working at the church anymore. I'm working at, at some business. And, you know, you could just feel in his spirit that he kind of felt like he was used up and, and this, was, this was it. And I, I got to thinking that evening, wait a minute, Ryan, you're 42 years old and you're considering yourself washed up. I mean, this young man, and here's another rest of the story. I watched this young man go through pastoral training at Faith Chapel in Billings, and when he had just graduated, I needed somebody to fill the pulpit of the church that I had pioneered in, in Lewistown, and I asked Ryan to come. So his first preaching job was in my pulpit, and so we had a connection. And I was actually able to spend some time with Ryan and said, you know, I got to thinking, Ryan, you're feeling like you're kind of washed up and done. My ministry started when I was 42. God called me to the ministry when I was 40, two years of pastoral training, 42, I go out and pioneer a church. I've spent, now I'm speaking to him, in pres I've spent 20 years in ministry, and they've been incredible, and I feel like God's calling me into an entirely new ministry opportunity in Montana. I feel like there's as much ahead of me now as there was then, and I started where you are right today. Do you see God in that divine appointment? That young man who thinks he's old at 42, feeling discouraged, and the guy that just happened to give him his first pulpit preaching position comes up and says, hey, gives him an opportunity to encourage, love on him, and say, you know, this is just the beginning. I could go on and on and on and on, but I won't. Let me just close with a couple of quick things. <clears throat> this morning, as I'm talking myself through this message, and putting together my thoughts and trying to figure out how I'm going to explain the fact that I pointed to this picture, not this one, but leave that up, please, but a big picture of a, of a big stone building that I, I thought we were going to live in. And then God took us to this little bitty house that's just absolutely perfect. And, and my cat house, I call it, because it was so <laughs> fond remembrances of the cat that used to live there. And I thought, how am I going to explain to the church the difference? And, and I thought, well, you know, instead of this big mansion on the hill, God brought us to this sweet little house. Well, sweet now. Um, and it's on A Avenue. First, you know, A, like you get in school. That's got to be good. Number 15, A Avenue, southeast in Harleton, Montana. As I'm thinking this through, you know, the Holy Spirit just kind of jabbed me and said, number 15, huh? Why don't you look up what 15 means in Hebrew? And I went, 15? I know that 
you know, three is a really spiritual number, and seven, and 11, and are you kidding me, 15? What? And so I thought, okay. So I uh, Google it, good old Google. The meaning of numbers in Hebrew, the number 15 in the Bible is a picture is a picture of rest which comes after deliverance represented by the number 14. The 15th day of the first Hebrew month, Nisan, is the first day of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, a day of rest for the children of Israel and for Christians. The 15th day of the seventh Hebrew month begins the Feast of Tabernacles, also a day of rest. God told Abraham in a vision just as the sun was setting to begin Nisan, the 15th of Nisan on the Hebrew calendar, that his descendants would end up as slaves in the foreign country, Egypt, and they would, however, eventually be set free. Many years later in Egypt, God miraculously delivered Israel's firstborn from the death angel just as Passover began after sunset on Nisan the 14th which began Nisan the 15th. Then 24 hours later, just as the sun was setting to begin Nisan the 15th, the children of Israel began to leave Egypt. This night is referred to as the night to be much observed, the 15th. God's prophecy of freedom given to Abraham on Nisan 15 was fulfilled years later on exactly the same day. After dying on the cross, Jesus' body was placed in the garden tomb as the sun was setting to begin Nisan 15. King Hezekiah, who was sick and dying, prayed that God would remember his works and how he served him with a whole heart. God heard his prayer and told the king through the prophet Isaiah that he would be healed and granted an additional number of years to live. 15. Yeah, I guess 15 is a pretty special number. <laughs> and then my wife, I text that to my wife, and then, and then she texted back. Evidently, she got on Google. She said, did you know that the day we arrived in Harleton, July 2nd, on the Hebrew calendar, is the 15th of Tishra? And, oh, this just happens to be 2015. <laughs> Oh, God has a sense of humor. Okay, but I really will close with this. <laughs> We're on our way over here for the Boeing Classic and to do some stuff on Josh's house and to give you guys a report on what's going on in Montana, a few little things. And we have our stop. I mean, we've made this trip gazillion times and we have our gas up points and one of the gas up points the last one going this way is at mile marker 172 and there's a gas station there that we like and so I'm telling the boys as we're approaching this mile marker 172 to be watching for that and all of a sudden all of our phones in the car start to beep and we get this alert that there's a dust storm in that area of, of the, the gorge and be on alert. And we're looking, and we, it's kind of dusty. We can see it, but we don't think too much of it. So I'm watching the mile markers, 174. Okay, it's coming right up. 
And the next mile marker I see is 169. And I said to Kayla, whoa, whoa, what happened to 172? Because it's plenty obvious, and you can see the gas station over there. And I was kind of out of the corner of my eye. I was looking for the big sign. I said, somebody stole the gas station. It's, you know, I mean, how did I miss 172? And then I'm beginning to panic because we're less than a quarter of a tank. I'm thinking, okay, and where could, get on your phone and find out where we can get some gas. He says, no, I know. We can go down the road a little ways to George. You know where George Washington is? Anybody know where George is? And uh, so I said, okay. And sure enough, we get down there, and we pull into George, and the wind's blowing like crazy. And we get in there, and, and I'm at the gas pump, and I have to look over, and there's a guy at the next island, and he's got kind of a big old fuzzy beard and kind of an interesting-looking character. And he's not talking to anybody. He walks right past me, goes inside, comes back out. And as he comes back out and he passes in front of my car, he kind of turns and looks at me, and he walks over, and he said, which way are you going? I said, going to Washington, came from Montana. He said, I would recommend you not go that way. He said, just down the road. He said, I just came from there, just down the road. There's a bad accident. They're stopping traffic. He said, I couldn't see past the end of my car. I went, whoa, really? So I get back in the car, and I tell Josh and Caleb, I said, you know, we might not be able to go that way. This guy just told me, and, and so why don't we get on our computers and see what we can find? And, and we couldn't find anything about road closures or anything. So we're just, ah, what do we do? And, and so we kind of start to pull out. And I said to the boys, you know, it can't be a coincidence that that guy just stopped and talked to me and nobody else and said, don't go that way. I said, what do you think we ought to do? Lord, what are you trying to show us? And I'm, I'm, I'm saying this out loud to the boys. And as I'm heading towards the, the little drive out there at the gas station, and right in front of us pulls this red car and, and kind of blocks our way. So I have to stop. And then this lady turns, this blonde lady in the car, because I'm looking right at her right there. She just turns really close to our car. And I'm thinking, lady, what are you doing? She gets right up here and rolls her window down and looks at me. And she says, you're not going that way. And, I, and, and she said, the road's closed. If you're going that way, the road's closed. There's a big accident. Highway Patrol said they were going to close. She said, I couldn't see past the front end of my car. It was like black. She said, you can't go that way. I said, okay, thank you. And I rolled up my window, and I, <laughs> I, turned, I turned to the boys. I said, do you think we got our answer? How many, times does the, <laughs> how many times does the Lord have to tell us? And uh, so we went up through Wenatchee and over and down to Cleelum, and, and we missed that. But did did you see God in that? I mean, every single day, God is presenting a door for us to walk through. But we've got to choose to look to see what it is that, that's there. I believe that God gave me a word this morning for this church as I was praying over this message. And this is the word you can take it or leave it, pray about it, but the word is this. Stop looking for me with the eyes of your flesh, but look instead for me with the eyes of your heart. Who is God? Who is God? Look and see all around. You'll see Jesus. You'll see the Father. Would you pray with me? 
Father God, we just thank you for this incredible day that you've given to us. We thank you for giving us the opportunity to see you all around us in Mike's kidney provision, in a cat house that's an incredible blessing, in dust storm warnings, in everything. Father God, let us see you with clear eyes that we might know the Father. Father, we just thank you for that. We give you the praise and glory. And everybody said, amen, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Wow, that was an encouraging message. Please consider this open invitation to come and join us in worship and praise. The Lord's will is made clear in 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you. Oh, and here's a final message from Pastor Kevin. Do you ever have thoughts about your purpose in life? Have you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Or maybe you walked away and it's time to come home. You know, really our walk with God is about a personal relationship with Him. That's what He wants. I believe that's what we want. I encourage you to take a few moments and allow this message to sink in. Allow His Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. You know, the Bible says that if we draw close to Him, that He will draw close to us. So do that today. God bless.